Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine, chiropractor, and functional nutrition practitioner, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. I'm excited about today's podcast, but before we jump in, I wanted to remind you to download this month's special gift at drjockersgift.com. From keto meal plans, smoothie recipes, to fasting quick start guides, we have a new complimentary gift every single month. To get your gift, simply visit drjockersgift.com. That's D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S-G-I-F-T.com. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. This podcast has been brought to you by Paleo Valley. They are one of my favorite companies because their products are super pure, full of incredible ingredients. And I want to tell you about their meat sticks. They have 100% grass-fed beef, pasture-raised turkey meat sticks that my family and I love. My kids love these because they have tons of flavor. They're completely free of carbs and sugar, and they have probiotics in them as well. So they're great for your gut, great for supporting your appetite, your satiety levels. They help you uh, feel satiated, and they help you burn fat for fuel. They're gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, GMO-free, and preservative-free. So they are the top of the line. They've got some great flavors that you will absolutely love. And now you can use my coupon code, Jockers, just my last name, J-O-C-K-E-R-S, to get 15% off your order today. Simply go to their website, paleovalley.com, and enter Jockers at checkout, and you'll receive 15% off your entire purchase. The link and discount code are also available in the show notes of today's episode. Once you try these meat sticks, you won't be able to get enough. I mean, my kids love these, my family loves these, and I know you will as well. So try them out, Paleo Valley, and I know you're gonna love them. Well, hey everybody, welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, where we know that your body was created to heal itself, and we're here to arm and equip you with the resources you need to be at your best. And I have got a great return guest. This is Dr. Jack Wolfson, cardiologist, a good friend of mine, and uh, just a wealth of information. Really excited to have you on again, Jack. And we're going to talk a lot about COVID-19. We're going to talk about hydroxychloroquine, mitochondrial health, AFib. We're going to talk about vitamin D, how it impacts ACE2 receptors, and so much more. So, uh, Jack, thanks for joining us here on the podcast. Oh, David, uh, pleasure to be on. Uh uh, as always, appreciate uh, any time to be able to, you know, see you discuss this. You have a great conversation about health and wellness, and uh, you know, you know, people like you and I got to keep shouting the truth from the roof, listening to mainstream and certainly mainstream medical doctors. Uh, they're not getting the full the full picture by any means, and that we're here to provide. Yeah, absolutely. And the last time Jack was on, we talked a lot about cholesterol. So if you're interested in that, check that out. That was actually episode one. I think we're on like episode 50 now. So uh, it was time to have Jack back because, you know, obviously right here, you know, at the time we're doing this interview, it's early August. And, um, you know, we've got, I guess, the quote unquote, second wave of COVID-19. 
and a lot of panic going on, a lot of people uh, being affected by this. And so really wanted to dive into some of the, the details behind COVID-19 and what's happening. And so, Jack, what are you seeing from a medical perspective with COVID-19? Obviously, we're, we're seeing, you know, most of the people that are having bad effects have comorbidities. And so what are you seeing as being kind of the primary driver between, you know, because we've, we've, we've adapted to viruses throughout the history of mankind. So why, why is this creating more panic than ever before? Well, you know, I think, you know, the, the panic situation is undoubtedly media driven. I mean, that's, yeah. that's for sure. Never, never before in our history has the media really taken a story and taken it, you know, to this level. Obviously, if we're talking about Ebola and Zika and, you know, the original SARS and all these other, you know, or even like a measles outbreak, again, there is propaganda uh, and sensationalism around all of it. But uh, to this level right now, it's, it's, there's, there's never been anything like that. And if the vast majority of people, I'll talk about my practice in general. I mean, I've probably got 3,000 people in my practice. And I can assure you that, you know, again, if they, if they weren't watching television and heard all the propaganda, we'd never know anything about it. Because my 3,000 people, I can really count on, you know, on, on one hand. Uh, in fact, you know, just even just a few people that have been, uh, that have had symptoms of a viral infection and then later on would test positive for COVID antibodies, nasal swab, but I'm getting no calls into my practice about people that are in the hospital, people that have died from COVID, none of it. So again, out of these, these naturally minded people, uh, and not everybody's perfect, of course, or anything close, but again, we're not really hearing a lot from them. And again, and if it wasn't for uh, the the news media and internet, you know, the main internet sources really pushing whatever it, you know publicity sensational agenda to be able to sell more advertising and get you know people over to their website or to their television. Again, we, we wouldn't even know it was a thing. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. And uh, you know, some of the pushback I've gotten is whenever I, I talk about, hey, you know, this is, it's really people with comorbidities. It's, uh, you know, people that are end of, end of life, right? So people in nursing homes, um, which obviously we want to protect everybody. You know, every, every life is, is precious and we want to protect people. But the reality is people do die, right? People die every day and 100,000 people die from, uh, you know, bacterial pneumonia every single year. So it's like we can totally try to quarantine people. But at the same time, immunocompromised people who are ready to die will find a way to die either way. I mean, this is 100,000 people die every year, bacterial pneumonia in the hospital every single year. And so um, we don't really hear about that. So, you know, when it comes to this, you know, one of the big pushbacks people will give me is they're like, yeah, but a hundred and, you know, whatever it is, 50,000, 160,000 people now have died. And so, you know, just kind of talking about numbers, a lot of people just get get worried just based on that. And again, you're talking about the media. Um, what have you seen? Have you looked into like the testing that they're doing or anything like that? Um, what are you seeing from your end? Well, I know once again, it's just these these numbers are really just pulled out of thin air. And I think this is even getting into mainstream as far as where do these numbers come from? Now, I worked in the hospitals for 16 years. I come up with medical diagnoses 
uh, based on, you know, and so to come up with a coding strategy of how you get reimbursed in the hospitals. So it's very clear that the more codes and diagnosis mm -hmm. codes you put in to the computer system, the more the hospital gets reimbursed for insurance, the more you as a doctor can bill for a higher level of care. So if I see a person and they come in with a runny nose, well, I can't bill for a high level of care if they've just got the medical diagnosis of seasonal rhinitis or viral, you know, infectious, you know, rhinitis or, you know, runny nose. Maybe that would pay, for example, $50. But if I put in there uh, rhinitis, along with shortness of breath, uh, along with abnormal EKG, the more that I start stacking up these things, and they may or may not be be true. I mean, really, you know, the person can just put in these these diagnosis codes, and they don't even need to be true. And a lot of people have got in trouble and jailed for, for Medicare fraud in these particular scenarios. Well, in, in this thing, you know, so if somebody comes into the hospital with shortness of breath and it's from congestive heart failure, like they're, they're in congestive heart failure as people, it happens obviously single day, hundreds, if not thousands of times across the United States. And then if you are to run a test on them, or maybe not even run a test, maybe you suspect COVID, well, then you can add that to the diagnosis. And now, again, you get a higher level uh, of, of billing. You can give that person uh, uh, antibiotics. Maybe, maybe they didn't need the antibiotics at all. After all, I mean, you know, COVID, you know, is... is uh, is is a virus, and now you give antibiotics, which is antibacterial. But you gave it again. It's all about the billing. So I think ultimately, though, David, as you know, is that every year the CDC estimates that forty to sixty million Americans have the flu. About forty to sixty thousand of those are estimated to have died, you know, from the flu on that year. Mm -hmm. And the web says it's these are all estimates. They're all estimates. So it's really hard to say, but you know, let me wrap it up and say, listen, obviously it's, it's a shame when, when healthy people uh, die. That's for sure. I mean, a shame is an understatement. I mean, and, and all life is precious. That being said, the vast majority of these people do have comorbidities. And then I'll throw it back to you, David. What do you think when people say, you know, to you, oh, uh, so-and-so was, got really sick, but they were healthy. They, I mean, but they were totally healthy, David. I mean, how, how does someone, how does David Jockers determine what is a truly healthy person when someone says, oh, they were in perfect health? Yeah, uh, and that's a great question. So what does define health? Because most people out there think if you are, are not diagnosed with any sort of chronic condition, that, that, uh, that immediately means that you're healthy. But we're not looking at your underlying levels of insulin resistance. We're not looking at you know, your vitamin D levels. Um, you know, we're not looking at a lot of these different factors, your hemoglobin A1C, you know, we know that blood sugar and insulin sensitivity play a huge role in your overall health. In fact, you know, with COVID, we're seeing people that have comorbidities that are typically associated with metabolic disease, obesity, being overweight, high blood pressure, diabetes. These are the people that are struggling the most. And so before you get diabetes, though, you have an underlying level of insulin resistance. It's not like you just all of a sudden wake up one day, you have diabetes. Um, you're building that for 20, 30, 40 years. And so that person may be 10 years into to developing that not really have any major symptoms. I mean, you typically don't feel diabetes until the later stages. You don't feel high blood pressure, uh, you know, until it gets really bad. 
And yet, so they're building this. They've never, you know, been, been uh, uh, diagnosed. They haven't been diagnosed yet. They still are able to do all their daily activities, but they have this underlying level of suboptimal health. And then that's obviously, uh, you know, predisposes them to a worsening condition. In fact, you know, I, I've seen uh, my friend Mike Mutzel. I know you know him as well. Um, he's posted on his Instagram several different people, like one guy who, you know, had, had pictures where he looked really ripped, right? So he, he was strong, looks good on the outside, and he had a really serious bout with COVID. And he was drinking sodas in the hospital. And when he left the hospital, he stopped at McDonald's, mm. right? So he had a really bad lifestyle. So you could look good on the outside, but still have metabolic disease on the inside. I mean, there's people all the time that you would never think, you know, these are people that run, they're active, but they end up dropping dead of a heart attack or getting cancer or something like that. And so, you know, it's more than just what you look like. And of course, activity, we, we highly recommend, and that is a, a positive element of good health, but that alone doesn't, doesn't indicate that you're healthy. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say I totally agree. And, you know, I take the example of, of this uh, actor on television. His name is Bob Harper. And Bob Harper was the, uh, I guess, health expert on, on The Biggest Loser TV yeah. show. And then Bob Harper had a massive heart attack. And everyone's like, can you believe Bob Harper had a heart attack? Uh, he looks like he's like Iron Man. He looks like in incredible shape. And it's like, you know, again, we know nothing about Bob Harper. And I know nothing about him in particular. But let me just say, like you said, I have was you know, maybe inside filming all day long under the artificial lights. You know, I don't know. I know Bob Harper worked out. But again, I don't know what his diet was like. Or was he eating McDonald's cookies and cupcakes, but then running on the treadmill? Uh, you know, what, can, what was his stress level like? What were his sleep patterns like? Uh, what were his, his environmental toxins and exposure like? So, yeah, it comes into so many different factors. And whenever someone says they're, you know, they're, oh, so-and-so was healthy, I'm like, you know what? Let David Jockers take a history and physical examination on that person. You know, let Jack Wolfson True. take a history and physical examination on that person. And I'll tell you if they were healthy because I think, you know, David, and I'm sure you'll agree, that anybody who, for example, has died of COVID, there's always comorbidities that you and I would find. Maybe like you said, yeah, they don't, they're not obese. They don't have a history of coronary disease. They don't have a history of lung disease. They don't have a history of hypertension. But again, once you start going down to what you and I would recognize as the real comorbidity, like vitamin D insufficiency, like uh, insulin resistance, like other autoimmune phenomena that we could, you know, get into, uh, or even just assessing markers of inflammation. Like is somebody, you know, if you're able to look at a group of people and say, well, these people have inflammation and these people don't don't. Let's see what happens during an average flu season. Well, the people that started off with baseline infl inflammation, they have to be at much higher risk, complications and, and uh, subsequent death from any uh, viral, bacterial, you know, any kind of uh, exposure to that. And that even links into, you know, you know how, how a truly healthy person can on average deal with something like 5G or EMF toxicity or mold toxicity or pesticides, other, you know, again, the more bulletproof the person is, the more the average person, you know, like us, you know, the more, the more we can tolerate these environmental assaults. Yeah, so true. In fact, you know, I tell people all the time, viruses, viral infections actually don't kill people. It's actually your immune system that's not responding appropriately. It's over-responding. And so if you have this underlying level of inflammation, 
you know, it's kind of like uh, having an overgrown fire in your home and you just pour a little gasoline on it. Now it's going to burn up your house. And so if you're already massively inflamed, if your body's already promoting too much inflammation, then you throw in this virus. Now you are much more susceptible to having what we call the cytokine storm, which is this aggressive activity of your immune system. The immune system is hardwired to protect you from systemic infections. And so it's trying to do the best it can to help protect you and heal you. However, it's uncoordinated, right? And so now it just uh, starts damaging your system and it damages the lung epithelium. And that actually allows bacteria to seep in. And it's typically the infection from the bacteria because bacteria's job is to break down decaying matter. Virus actually need a living organism in order to continue to propagate. And so it's the bacteria, though, that will actually kill you. So most of these people are dying actually from secondary co-infections because the immune system is damaging the lung epithelium, making them more susceptible. So we've got to look at like that underlying level of inflammation. So what are some labs and maybe some other things that you look at when you're examining somebody to understand more about their health and their inflammation levels? Well, I think, you know, you know, like you just said, the, the checking inflammation, I think is certainly important, uh, you know, but back. To, real quick to that, to the annual statistics that are reported, actually, the CDC doesn't even report influenza uh, separate. It's influenza and pneumonia, just like you said, mm -hmm. the, the influenza leading to a you know, viral influenza leading to secondary bacterial pneumonia. And in this scenario of, <clears throat> of COVID and what we're seeing with cytokine storm with these people that go into ARDS, acute respiratory or distress syndrome, where now their lungs are getting just essentially full of inflammatory cells, full of fluid. Uh, and then, of course, you can't oxygenate uh, no matter what you do. And that's how these people ultimately die, just from extreme hypoxia. Um, and the, 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 you know, Certainly, when we talk things, the strategies, the health-related strategies, it's all about how to have the proper immune response. You know, somebody with HIV has no immune response. People with dysfunctional immune systems, uh, and then also could have that hyper response to it. You know, essentially, it's kind of like taking uh, taking a machine gun, you know, to a uh, to to an arm wrestling competition. You know, once again, you just you bring in all of this battle equipment into that environment, and there's going to be collateral damage because yes, you may kill off that virus, uh, but you're also going to kill off everything. You know, if you're trying to, you know, another analogy, I guess maybe if you're taking, a, you know, the machine gun to kill a house fly, well, you may get the fly, but again, you're going to destroy your house in the same, uh, you know, scenario. But, uh, you know, certainly when we measure markers of inflammation, and, and this is why I know you and I are big fans, and I know you talk about it in your book, Keto Metabolic Breakthrough, just about, you know, tests don't guess. And I think even there's a lot of people in the health space that are going to be listening to us right now, and they're like, well, you know what, I eat, I eat uh, the perfect diet. I'm all organic, and maybe you're vegan, maybe you're paleo, maybe you're keto, maybe you're carnivore. Uh, I, I'm guessing most of your audience is slanted towards the latter, as is mine certainly. Mm -hmm. But no matter what you know, what, what you're doing, obviously, you know, doing it organically. Okay, and I get the sun, and I get the sleep, and I take some quality supplements, and I'm doing all the stuff. That's great, but you need to get tested just to make sure that you're that everything is working appropriately. It's not ten thousand years ago where yeah, you could be sure that your behaviors led to the ultimate in health. Uh, now we have to really test, and you're right. Che you know, checking. I, I think the markers of inflammation uh, are really uh, pr probably the, the top 
the, the most important thing that I look at right off the bat to determine if someone's healthy or not, are they inflamed? And obviously, if they're inflamed, HSCRP, phospholipase A2, oxidized LDL, MPO, you can check interleukin levels. You and I both know you can go down the whole list of all these different possible. Once you find that inflammation, now you have to go deeper and say, okay, well, why is that person uh, inflamed? And from there, yeah, you're looking at things, like you said, insulin resistance, you're looking at the vitamin D, you're looking for that leaky gut, you're looking for all other uh, autoimmune factors, environmental toxins, pollutants, molds. You know, the list uh, fortunately goes on and on because you and I will go down that whole list, keep looking, as opposed to the standard cardiologist who says, okay, you have inflammation, here's your aspirin, here's your Lipitor, uh, you know, good luck. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and then ultimately, David, too, let me, let me just circle back as far as why do, why do marathon runners have a higher incidence of coronary artery calcification? They're marathon runners, and they look great, and they're, they're super slim, and they look like a bunch of David Jockers. The difference is, is that they are highly inflamed because, sure, they keep the weight down by running marathons, but they run a mile, and they have a power bar. They run another mile, they have a Gatorade. It, you know, again, they're generating a lot of oxidative stress, but if they're not putting in antioxidants to combat that and equilibrate that, they're going to start having inflammatory uh, coronary artery disease and other, and other health issues. Yeah, absolutely. And they're constantly spiking cortisol and stress hormones, which is constantly elevating up their blood sugar. And so they've got this blood sugar roller coaster that they're dealing with as well. Yeah. And to add into that, you know, a big thing I, I like to look at is your fasting insulin levels. I mean, that's also a really, really important factor. So I've seen a lot of people that look healthy on the outside. We do a fasting insulin. So they haven't eaten in 12 to 14 hours and it's like 11, 12, right? But you would think from the outside, they look healthy. These are people that are developing metabolic disease. And so that's a very simple, easy test that can be done. And, um, you know, definitely gives you an insight into what's happening in the early stages because the higher your insulin, the more insulin turns on inflammatory gene pathways. So that's critical. And then what you also mentioned too, you know, you could be eating a, uh, you know, you could be eating a healthy diet, exercising regularly, doing your best to keep stress down, getting your vitamin D. But if you're living in a moldy home and you're breathing in mold all day long, it's, it's chronically inflaming your body. So we've got to really look at all these different factors and that's where testing can be really helpful. Working with an expert to, to help guide you in this can be just so helpful. Now I wanted to circle into the ACE2 receptor, obviously being a cardiologist, you know, this is a, is a factor when it comes to things like high blood pressure. Um, what they found is that the SARS-CoV-2 is, uh, you know, this COVID-19 virus now is, is getting into the cells through the ACE2 receptor and, What's interesting is that research has shown that vitamin D plays a really important role in helping protect against that. And so uh, can you talk more about that? And then people that are taking high blood pressure medications like ACE2 inhibitors, how that impacts this? Well, you know, I mean, once again, the, uh, you know, angiotensin converting enzymes, we, uh, uh, that is essentially how you, how you keep your blood pressure normalized and stabilized, kidney perfusion. Uh, as as well has to do with this particular enzyme. And again, you go from uh, renin, which is a hormone released from the kidneys that has, again, effects on just, it, it's all just about 
adequate circulation to all of your cells and all of your tissues. So renin, angiotensin one, angiotensin uh, two, uh, and then again, how angiotensin two affects the body. And this angiotensin two can get in through one of the receptors, uh, this uh, ACE1 receptor, ACE2 receptors that are there. And the thought and the concern early on was that people who are on ACE inhibitors uh, would therefore have higher levels of this ACE2 receptor um, and they would be at increased risk of complications from SARS. And uh, I think that that was certainly a concern early on. From what I've seen, it doesn't really appear to be a factor And what they're telling people is not to stop the particular pharmaceutical. Now, uh, I mean, me personally, as yours is as well, our goal is to always get people off of pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're always trying to do. There's there's a role for pharmaceuticals in emergency situations, uh, you know. But in this you know scenario, how do we get people uh, healthy and effectively off vitamin uh, off off of the pharmaceuticals, you know, for blood pressure? And one of the strategies, of course, is sunshine to crank up mm -hmm. levels of you know to do a lot of different things, increase nitric oxide, improve melatonin production, but then also in this conversation to help with vitamin D and the production of vitamin D. And vitamin D actually is in the beginning of that pathway where it is a natural renin inhibitor. So again, the kidneys are putting out this hormone renin. High levels of renin will lead to higher levels of a, you know, angina 2 and then the activation of that to therefore vasoconstrict the blood vessels when all the person needed was vitamin D, preferably from the sunshine. There is some data that vitamin D supplementation can be helpful. I know you're critical of a lot of these vitamin studies because, again, if you take a bunch of, you take 100 people that eat, again, McDonald's cookies and cupcakes, half get vitamin D, half don't, you're not really going to get a good, a good, you know, response, you know, to really get a real world situation as far as, okay, this guy over here takes vitamin D supplements uh, and follows all the other recommendations by Dr. David Jockers. Uh, and this person, over here doesn't. Obviously, this person here is going to do infinitely better. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, once again, the best strategy to keep your system strong uh, and, and the simplest strategy and the most cost-effective strategy is getting sunshine. And, and uh, there's so much literature that's come out now about sunshine and about those people with the highest levels of vitamin D to keep them uh, bulletproofed. Uh, and, and really, I think also, David, is that how vitamin D um, modulates that that uh, uh, the the receptor, uh, you know, the ACE2 receptor, and how mm. again, it's not that we, we don't want to shut down these receptors. That's yeah. not what the what the goal is of the natural uh, doctor. It's about how do we make sure that 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 receptor is getting activated in the response because I think, you know, once again, that if you have dysfunctional receptors and then that receptor now climbs into the cell and then starts causing damage to the DNA, to the RNA, uh, maybe in that scenario, again, you know, we know that low levels of vitamin D, high incidence of cytokine storm. Uh, so again, you know, once again, it's, it's not about how we shut down anything or activate anything. It's about how do we provide the body with the tools it needs to get the job done naturally. And again, to keep us naturally bulletproof. Yeah, for sure. And vitamin D also helps to modulate our Th1 immune system, which is our intracellular immune system. And that's the part of the system that 
really goes hyperactive when we have some sort of viral issue. And we need a good, really healthy, strong Th1 system. Vitamin D helps to optimize it. But it's like, you know, in a, in a sense, you know, instead of, um, uh, you know, if we're trying to, um, you know, throw an arrow at, at a board, we're going to go more into the bullseye rather than like throwing it and hitting it, hitting, you know, the side of the wall or whatever it is. It's going to be more accurate, more effective. And that's really another thing that vitamin D does with those inflammatory pathways. So, so important. And so what is the difference between like vitamin D supplementation, good research on it showing that it's very helpful taking a good vitamin D3 supplement, but there's definitely differences between getting sun exposure um, you know, on as much of your body as possible and actually taking the supplement. I know, um, for example, the sun exposure really plays a big role with impacting your mitochondrial health, right? So actually activating mitochondrial biogenesis. Can you talk more about that? Well, I think, you know, listen, I mean, is that, you know, we all kind of reach towards vitamin D uh, as, as kind of like the main thing when we talk about sunshine, yet the sun does an infinite, you know, many things uh, in addition to vitamin D creation. Now, vitamin D creation is, is obviously critical. Vitamin D receptors are in every cell, tissue, you know, et cetera, the human body. And it, again, to be able to give your body the, the right way to make it in enough amounts and the appropriate way to naturally do it, that's where, that's where the sunshine exposure comes in. And as far as, you know, the differences are concerned, you know, once again, you have to, um, uh, you know, how we make vitamin D comes from cholesterol coursing through the skin, sun hits it, instead of turning it into, uh, uh, it, it's a, it's a precursor of cholesterol. Yeah. Instead of Wait, turning it into yeah. cholesterol, it'll turn it into vitamin D. So mm -hmm. when people have cholesterol issues, you know, per se, we have to cholesterol, uh, low vitamin D. Well, lower the cholesterol down and then you'll raise vitamin D when you get that sunshine exposure. But the vitamin D also to be effective has to be the sulfated form. And again, that requires you to have proper sulfur in your system. So vitamin D supplementation certainly as a standalone is just not enough. Your body still has to take a couple extra steps to make it to the fully formed functional vitamin D. And I think that's where there's some discrepancy between the people who take supplements and as far as maybe some of the you know the bang for the buck uh, you know if you will but it should never be a standalone vitamin d again it has to work with all facts uh that are involved certainly people who take vitamin d they should be taking vitamin k uh knowing that uh vitamin d supplementation also can raise cholesterol levels because now if your body is not making its own vitamin d um uh, you know naturally when you supplement you can actually raise some of the lipid levels uh, hmm. as well. And I know you and I talked about that in our, our first episode. But, um, you know, once again, it's just, it, there's, you know, if there's anything that's really come out about the literature in the last four months, it really is about that protective effect of vitamin D, which I think is really just, again, just a surrogate mark for sunshine exposure. So when I see somebody and when you see somebody who's got very low levels of vitamin D, um, we're not telling, okay, you know, jump on the supplement. Uh, we're not saying, okay, you know, pack in all those animal foods that are high in vitamin D of which, uh, you know, maybe there's a little bit in yeast and mushrooms, but otherwise there's no other vegan uh, source. You have to get it from animal products. Uh, and, you know, we're looking at that person. First of all, they look pale. You can tell the sunshine. Yeah. You can tell they're not getting outdoors. You don't even need the marker. You can say you have a sunshine deficiency, but that's what the vitamin D does. It's, you know, level does. It says, okay, then it needs to hear the sunshine story 
uh, more. They need to understand that all life is outside in the sun and it is only the humans that are sitting inside and we're the ones who are sick. Guys, I just want to interrupt this podcast to tell you about one of my favorite superfood chocolate powders. It's called Cacao Bliss. You see, cacao is unprocessed chocolate, and it is rich in neuroactive alkaloids that boost dopamine, serotonin, and endorphins. These are your feel-good neurotransmitters that really make you feel alive and well And it's also rich in polyphenols like EGCG, which we think about when we think of green tea. That helps protect your brain and your body from oxidative stress, helps you age more effectively and feel better than ever. And my favorite brand of cacao powder is Cacao Bliss because they use 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, which allows them to maintain their full integrity of powerful health benefits. They blend it with turmeric, one of the most powerful anti-inflammatory herbs on the planet. They put in MCT oil and coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper, and they sweeten it with monk fruit, which is an all natural sweetener that does not impact your blood sugar. And those compounds like cinnamon, MCT oil, really help stabilize your blood sugar. So this is a fantastic powder you can put in almond milk, coconut milk, you can put it in your protein shakes. You can use it for baking if you're making chocolate muffins or a chocolate cake or making a chocolate protein shake like I do almost every single day. This is a fantastic mix to throw in there. It's gonna help enhance your mood, your memory, and your mindset, and really help you experience pure bliss. That's why they call it cacao bliss. So guys, if you are a chocolate lover, maybe a superfood enthusiast, or just someone who wants to experience life at a higher level, I invite you to try out cacao bliss today. If you go to the website, earthechofoods.com forward slash David Jockers, let me spell that for you, E-A-R-T-H, E. C-H-O-F-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash David Jockers. Use the coupon code David at checkout to get 15% off of the Cacao Bliss. And this is a low-carb, gluten-free, GMO-free, vegan, paleo, and keto-friendly superfood powder that you will love. So try that out today. Again, use the coupon code David at checkout earthechofoods.com forward slash David Jockers. Use the coupon code David to get 15% off today. Yeah, for sure. We got to get that good sun exposure, the biophotons coming from the sun. I mean, we're really like biophotonic beings, right? I know I interviewed Sayer G and his book, Regenerate, and uh, we talked about that, how humans can actually help produce energy um, through consuming food and also the sun actually impacting um, you know, with the combination of chlorophyll in our body will actually help produce energy. Um, sun exposure helps stimulate mitochondrial biogenesis. So some important things there. And um, you talked about having sulfur as well. What are some of the best foods to consume? Because sulfur is an amino acid. Uh, and so what are some of the best foods to get your sulfur levels? Uh, well, you know, typically when you think about sulfur, you think about a sulfur smell and you think about eggs. So yeah. eggs would certainly be high in the sulfur-containing amino acids, methionine, cysteine. Uh, and of course, those are all building blocks for glutathione and glutathione levels when they're at their highest lead to the best uh, uh, health outcomes. 
because of all the different things glutathione does. For anyone who's listening, just to read about glutathione, how beneficial it is. Another place where there's massive amounts of glutathione, of course, is in the lung tissue, the cells that line the lungs, the epithelium. And if you have high levels of glutathione, which may be a reason why some people want to nebulize glutathione, mm. is that direct nebulization of glutathione is proven to increase levels of the lung tissue as well. Uh, so, you know, again, I mean, you're breathing this stuff in, it's going to increase the levels yeah. and do so uh, beneficially. But listen, you know, people, you know, those other, you know, onions, garlic are very high in sulfur. The uh, uh, animal, you know, uh, uh, organs, liver is very high in mm. sulfur as well. The brassica vegetables, broccoli, uh, uh, sprouts, Brussels sprouts, uh, so on and so forth. Those are all fantastic sources. Uh, I love eating seafood. I love eating whole seafood. Uh, there's just, you know, so many benefits from doing that. And that's a great way to, again, you know, to, to get the sulfur into your body. Then you have all these other co coenzymes and all these other minerals. Uh, you know, this is another place where magnesium, of course, is very important to the sulfation, not only of vitamin D, but also on the inside of the blood vessel. Uh, you know, and, and whenever you, you know, people talk about glucosamine, it's glucosamine, you know, sulfate, MSM, another, you know, popular joint product uh, is, is a sulfur product. And I think that so many people uh, suffer from sulfur deficiency. Uh, this has been written a, a lot by, by Stephanie Seneff, Anthony Samsell. Uh, you know, they talk about it as well. And, uh, you know, essentially, you know, once again, it's just a building block for glutathione and having lots of glutathione is certainly, uh, you know, very beneficial. And you know, I think also, you know, you and Sarah, I'm sure touched on a lot as far as, yeah, the, you know, the mitochondria and that pretty much all disease can trace to, to the health of the mitochondria and, uh, in, and what that does as far as, uh, you know, obviously, you know, when the sun comes in and it kicks off, uh, uh, kicks off a molecule of nitric oxide and, and the fourth uh, enzyme in that cytochrome P450 in each um, uh, cell, and as it kicks off nitric oxide, well, nitric oxide is a vasodilator, mm. anti-inflammatory, yeah. anticoagulant. It's all these people that are suffering uh, from, from cardiovascular effects from COVID and, and the literature now, you know, again, I mean, there's so many people who do recover from COVID or the diet of COVID is not from pulmonary issues. Uh, oftentimes it was from cardiovascular. Uh, and that again, if we crank up levels of nitric oxide through sunshine, through uh, foods such as uh, beets, uh, leafy greens, arugula, et cetera, they're high in nitrates, um, uh, which get converted into nitric oxide. And the third pathway is um, uh, is the amino acids, L-arginine, L-citrulline, L-taurine, also help to increase levels of nitric oxide. Uh, and then ultimately, look towards, you know, chiropractic. It's like, well, how, do, how does chiropractic come in to the whole situation here? Well, you know, again, you know, chiropractic by, by improving and balancing that autonomic tone uh, by, by influencing healthy function of the liver, of the blood vessels, of the immune system, all stuff that is proven in chiropractic. And I personally, you know, believe that as I increase nitric oxide levels by salivary testing in my patients, that chiropractic is part of that whole approach. So I do believe that chiropractic, again, will improve nitric, oxi uh, nitric oxide levels. Absolutely. Well, chiropractic definitely plays a big role with balancing your nervous system, your sympathetic fight or flight, and your parasympathetic rest, digest, and heal. And you really need good balance there. Uh, a lot of people are either in sympathetic dominance or they can be in parasympathetic dominance. And so creating that balance is key and chiropractic is foundational to that. 
Now, we've been talking a lot about mitochondria. And can you explain a little bit more about what mitochondria are, the importance they have to our body, and then also your best strategies, best lifestyle strategies for improving mitochondrial function? Well, mitochondria are these, you know, tiny little fuel factories uh, inside of the inside of the cells. And originally, it it sounds like, uh, and from what I understand it, that uh, essentially there was a bacteria that was. And this, we're talking about billions, you know, a billion years ago, and how some of these bacteria again got engulfed by other cells, and those bacteria, along with their DNA, would eventually be called mitochondria in in humans and primates and other animals. And again, we have always been taught that the mitochondria are again, the fuel factories of the cells that make ATP, which is the energy currency. But as you start to read other people like uh, uh, Gerald Pollack and the fourth phase of water, you realize that the water inside of our cells is not coming from what we drink. Mm. You know, we think, okay, you know, we're going to drink this water down and now it's going to is going to flood our, our water. And in fact, actually, all that cellular water and the way that it is all structured actually comes from the mitochondria. The mitochondria is taking oxygen and combining it with hydrogen from food, and now it's forming water with a waste product of, of CO2. So again, having that well-functioning, well-oiled, well-lubricated Mitochondria is absolutely key, and there's so many uh, uh, cases in the literature and so much that's in there that talks about mitochondrial dysfunction and how it leads certainly to cardiovascular disease. I could talk about that all day long, uh, but uh, again, how how it just leads to I mean just just every disease. It all it starts in the mitochondria. So uh, again, uh, good mitochondrial health. It's it's all about just all the strategies you and I talk about. It's the sleep. Uh, appropriate, you know, sleep, it's the sunshine, it's giving the body quality foods, it's avoiding all the chemicals and pollutants and toxins in the environment, you know, talk about EMF, you know, all day long, you know, Sayer and, and, and his team are obviously, you know, phenomenal when it comes to EMF. I mean, essentially, we, uh, we are, we are just, we're all electricity. So when you create this man-made electrical and electromagnetic fields from all that surrounds us, how does that not impact the human body, well, of course it does. And the heart, when you do an EKG, you're measuring the electricity of the heart, EMG, electricity of the muscles, EEG, electricity of the brain. So to think that someone walking around with a cell phone uh, on their on their shirt pocket is not going to impact their heart. It's absolutely asinine. Uh, so, so you know, again, those are all strategies when it comes to, you know, I, I mean, you know, how, you know, this, the, the mitochondria, how this all works. I mean, again, it's the energy from the sun and the energy from the food and the breakdown of all of this uh, in, in a positive way, but then how it's negatively impacted if you throw in heavy metals, you throw in plastics, mm -hmm. parabens, phthalates, uh, pesticides, you throw in EMF. It's just going to the you know with the machinery and uh you know essentially and this is the beautiful thing of what we do is that you know you you know doctors like you and i have all these answers but we're not getting interviewed on cnn we're not getting mm -hmm. interviewed on fox yeah. they're not talking about any of these things because again it doesn't sell their agenda yeah yeah you're totally right and you know my favorite strategy costs nothing at all 
for improving mitochondrial health, intermittent fasting. So when you fast, you stress the cell, you stress the mitochondria, and the body will actually break down the dysfunctional mitochondria. We have an innate intelligence within us. That innate intelligence isn't going to break down healthy mitochondria. It will break down the ones that are damaged and dysfunctional, break those down, and then take the raw materials and form new, healthy, young, vibrantly alive mitochondria. It's a process called mitophagy, right? This autophagy process where the body literally um, recycles itself. And so if you just um, skip a meal a day, right, eat two meals instead of three, uh, you know, tighten up your eating window perhaps, or even go a day. Like it's, it's, you know, it's always a goal with my clients if I can get them metabolically flexible enough to go 24 hours without a meal. If you can do that on a weekly basis and then, you know, you can eat obviously healthy and have a feast day and things like that, uh, you know, throughout the week. But if you can go 24 hours without a meal and hydrate well and be able to do all your daily activities, that is a sign your body has good metabolic health. And that's a sign that your body is turning over these bad mitochondria and forming new, healthier mitochondria. So I challenge you guys, listeners, uh, to start to work in that direction. You might not do it immediately. You might uh, gradually lean into it, move into it. But over time, if you start practicing intermittent fasting, it's easier and easier and easier. So let's talk a little bit about hydroxychloroquine, um, you know, the most censored drug in the history of mankind. And what your experience with it with it is, and um, what's happening with it? Well, I mean, listen. You know, first, let me just say, my default is always anti-pharmaceutical. So, um, again, the the whole idea of of even a lot of people in the holistic space touting the use of hydroxychloroquine, I'm totally against because it is a pharmaceutical. It does have serious cardiotoxicity. It does so in a variety of ways, but the most common of which, of course, is, is lengthening a part of the EQT. And the longer that QT interval is, the higher the risk of someone developing a lethal heart rhythm called torsades de pont uh, or a form of ventricular tachycardia. And uh, why would anybody, I would never want to take that under the, under the guise of prevention. Like my prevention is all the stuff that we've been discussing. Now, I guess if I was in the hospital and we were throwing things to try and stick into a person who, again, was suffering from severe cytokine storm, they were in some kind of septic shock, why there's probably little downside to using that because, again, they're in such dire straits. Now, personally, what I would like to do, David, I would take that person who's in the, who's in the intensive care unit on a ventilator, and how do we wheel this person outside to bake yeah. in the sun? That right. that's, would be my number one strategy. Uh, but again, I mean, I think that um, the, the, there are a lot of doctors that are claiming success with hydroxychloroquine. The studies, at least that I've read, that are coming from the mainstream journals, uh, agenda, you know, uh, you know, are they trying to sell us something different? Uh, the answer is yes and yes. But again, the literature really that's been published in mainstream peer-reviewed journals really doesn't support the use of it. Um, uh, certainly in, in mild case of, of steroids, of intravenous steroids, we've known them viruses from novel to this. We've used that in the intensive care settings uh, for many years with, with efficacy. Uh, but again, hydroxychloroquine, you know, I, I, I'm sure you do as well. You know, you get these emails, you know, coming in or phone calls to the office. Can I get a prescription for that? I'll never prescribe it. I'll never prescribe it to someone 
uh, again, to think they're going to take this on, on a preventive basis. It's just not something I do with, with prevention. My prevention is, okay, listen, how do we, again, let's talk about food. Let's talk about sunshine. You want you know, prevention supplements. Let's talk about vitamin C. Let's talk about zinc. Let's talk about, you know, getting in, you know, a little bit of argent and silver. You know, let's, let's use these natural boosting strategies mm-hmm. uh, as, 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 far, as far as the way that I'm concerned. But I do think, you know, once again, it, it is well known and well documented documented that hydroxychloroquine carries cardiovascular risk. And uh, it would be a shame to think, okay, I'm going to take something for prevention and then put myself at risk for dying from a lethal heart uh, rhythm issue. If you were to take it, you need a baseline EKG first. And I would probably uh, do an EKG after day five uh, to see if you start to you know, lengthen out that QT interval. But I, wouldn't, I, w- I certainly wouldn't prescribe mm-hmm. it without, without that information in hand. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I think my biggest issue with it is the censorship that's taken place. Um, you know, cause I really feel like people should have the option to be able to take it. Um, you know, there's millions of people that are taking hydroxychloroquine all around the world for malaria prevention and taking it in low dosages from what I understand has been, has been shown to be fairly safe. Now, again, I'm not pro pharmaceutical, you know, I personally don't take it. I wouldn't take it. Um, you know, there's other things that act. So hydroxychloroquine, <clears throat> the idea of it is that it acts as this zinc ionophore where it helps funnel zinc into the cells and zinc is very antiviral. And so it helps zinc become more effective. Now there are other things like quercetin, for example, which is something you can find in elderberry, for example, a real rich source of, um, of quercetin, red onions, particularly at the outer layer of the onion. Okay, real rich. Yeah, capers, another great source of person. And you can take supplements. Like uh, one of my favorite supplements that I take is resveratrol and quercetin. It's a combination, resveratrol and quercetin. I do it. I have a history, my family history and a, and a personal history of skin cancer. And resveratrol and quercetin are very protective to epithelial linings like the skin. Uh, they also support mitochondria health. They can also act as zinc ionophores. And so those are things that naturally you could be doing, uh, you know, vitamin D, all the things that we talked about. However, I feel like people should have the option to take a low dose hydroxychloroquine. And, you know, it's one of those things where like the Zelenko protocol, where this Dr. Zelenko in New York, he was treating all these people, you know, with hydroxychloroquine, zinc, and then, um, you know, these were the high risk people with comorbidities. Yep. And, and azithromycin. And seeing phenomenal results, right? Phenomenal recovery. And I think that should be an option for people, uh, you know, and, and doctors should be trained and educated on how to use it just because we have like a meta, our, our society is so medicalized. You know, I wish everybody would just say, oh yeah, I'm going to take the quercetin. I'm going to, you know, go out and get the sun, get my vitamin D. But unfortunately we have such a medical model society. I think people should be trained. Doctors should be trained on how to use it, how to use it appropriately, right? For example, you know, there's, several studies, New England Journal of Medicine and The Lancet, they had studies retracted because of false data. There was also toxicity, uh, you know, there was also a study that was published showing that um, hydroxychloroquine was dangerous, but the dosages they were using was was upwards of like 2,000 to 2,500 milligrams a day, which is known to be highly toxic, cardiotoxic. And so the low dosages seem to be safer, uh, from what I understand, safer than like Tylenol, right? Taking Tylenol on a daily basis, which you and I both don't, don't recommend anyways. But, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, for those people, I mean, that that would be considering that, you know, once again, I think that, you know, it, it's always nice to get that baseline EKG, check that first, make sure your QT interval is not longer than 440 milliseconds. And then something, of course, that shortens up the QT is magnesium. So you want to make mm. sure you take a lot of magnesium with that if you're, you know, so uh, just to kind of keep an eye on that, use some of those strategies to help improve that because, you know, again, somebody, it, it's not going to, you know, low dose is not going to bother the masses. And like you pointed out, there are, there is a long track record of, some you know somewhat safe usage of this uh but that being said it is it is an artificial stimulant in the body obviously the body doesn't need it there's so many other factors but if you're going to do it again adequate magnesium potassium mm. making sure all that stuff is really cranked up to high levels and i think again if you're if if you're truly a healthy person, I think you'll tolerate the hydroxychloroquine better than the person, again, who has other morbidities that we talked about. Now you're dumping a pharmaceutical into the body uh, as well. So just uh, just yeah. keep an eye on it. And again, it's just, I, I also, and I know you don't say this, of course, but it's just um, you know, looking for the the panacea from the medical pharmacy, as opposed to always continuing to put forth, you know, the dialogue of like, hey, you know what, instead of even talking about this, let's just continue to hammer home, you know, good food sources of zinc, how zinc enters the cell, and it comes through, you know, good uh, uh, receptor function, membrane function, and cellular membranes, depend on omega-3. So all these vegans that are out there that don't get omega-3, EPA, DHA, now their cells are dysfunctional. Or just the average person, again, who's not eating seafood on a regular basis, how those cells are dysfunctional because, again, we're not giving the tools the cells need to get the job done. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, I heard actually uh, an interview on another podcast where it was a COVID survivor and this guy had a really, really bad complication with COVID. And his doctor had given him hydroxychloroquine and he started having tachycardia. And in particular, he couldn't sleep at night. And I immediately thought magnesium deficiency, right? And so, you know, that's such great advice to realize. And most pharmaceuticals that you take actually deplete magnesium and B vitamins and possibly potassium in a lot of cases. So if you are on pharmaceuticals, it's a good idea to also discuss with your doctor taking some extra B vitamins, um, you know, extra magnesium, things like that. You know, magnesium is one of the safest supplements that you can be taking. You know, the way you know you get too much magnesium is you have loose stools. That's, you know, the, the, the primary symptom that you experience. So I think that's key. And then also upping your zinc, right? I know seafood is one of the best sources of zinc. And again, zinc, really great for viral replication, stops viral replication. Seafood, shellfish. you should be consuming. Yeah, shellfish, oysters, right? Seafood, such a good source of zinc. Now, if you have comorbidities, if you're an older individual with comorbidities, you may have trouble absorbing the zinc because you're probably producing low stomach acid levels. So taking like some apple cider vinegar before your meal can be really helpful. Maybe some extra HCL or some hydrochloric acid can be extremely helpful. And if you take zinc supplements, this is a big mistake I see a lot of people make. They take it, a lot of people take it on an empty stomach. You never want to do that. It can cause nausea. Always take it with meals. I think that's really important. Um, Jack, how about, you know, a, a friend of my, my wife's was, uh, texted her messenger the other day saying that her boyfriend, who's fairly young, thirties, um, looks fit again. We don't know exactly know how healthy he is. I don't, I don't personally know him. Um, but 
apparently he had COVID and now they're saying he has, like he was able to get over it and everything, um, had mild symptoms, but now they're saying that he has cardiovascular like complications because of it. So have you, have you heard anything about this? Uh, well, I mean, this is certainly, you know, over the last uh, uh, few weeks, there's been a lot of mainstream media publicity of this. There was a study that was re uh, released that was in JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, that talked about 100 patients that they looked at that had recovered from COVID, and they saw through MRI testing how they had cardiac disease function. So the hearts were a little bit enlarged. The hearts didn't squeeze as well as they should. They used different imaging techniques to see that there was evidence of inflammation of the heart in general. Uh, so clearly, how does, you know, if COVID, uh, you know, how, how does COVID again affect, affect the heart? Well, I mean, if someone is hypoxic, low oxygen level, well, the heart is not mm -hmm. getting enough oxygen. So that'll certainly be a problem. It looks like it actually causes hypercoagulation or makes, you know, for sticky blood or sludgy blood uh, for it to happen uh, as well in that sense uh, by, by, by COVID and depleting levels of nitric oxide. You can also get vasospasm. That's a way, um, you know, so, and then just direct infection of virus into cardiac tissue leading to inflammation. So there's a lot of different things, you know, that are happening to these people. But again, I think in general, like you said, you don't know, uh, you know, your wife's friend's husband. Uh, and again, how, how that person looks, but I just, you know, I, you know, if you, if you look at a hundred people, well, those hundred people were, were, were probably unhealthy. Uh, and again, this isn't unique necessarily to, to COVID-19. It can happen to uh, influenza from other viruses as well, where some of this long-term cardiovascular damage uh, is done. Now, the question is, okay, now once you recover, how do we improve that cardiac function? Yeah. Well, those are all the different strategies we talked about, starting with the mitochondria. And again, getting those people under the care of doctors like and on, that's how they're going to recover as opposed to mainstream. They're going to say, well, can, you know, here's the ACE inhibitor. Here's the beta blocker. Um, maybe here's some other, other kind of, you know, anti-inflammatory uh, type products that people would use for, for cardiovascular patients again. But again, none of it's addressing the cause and that's why the outcomes uh, for these people are lousy. Yeah, for sure. And you know, the good news is this, is that your body can heal itself. That uh, your body, just like we talked about that mitophagy, where the body recycles those mitochondria, it can recycle cardiac cells, right? It can help rebuild new, healthier cardiac cells, new, healthy epithelial lining of your blood vessels. So even if you had some sort of, you know, really bad, or you have a family member that had a really bad, uh, you know, COVID um, infection, and maybe they have some of these complications, not too far gone. Your body can heal. It can repair itself. I mean, if you do the right things in the course of a year, I mean, you can literally turn over just about every single cell and, um, and, and, and reform those. And so, you know, that's the good news. And obviously Jack and I, we talked a lot about different strategies in order to do that. So you start taking action with those things. Now, you know, one of my favorite, again, intermittent fasting, simple, easy thing to practice, and then incorporating good, high quality, high intensity exercise during your fasting window, either right at the end or maybe like towards the end of that window, doing that high intensity exercise really stresses you metabolically and your body will adapt and become stronger, more resilient, and will start to break down all those damaged cells and rebuild new ones. 
And so, Dr. Jack, uh, this has been a fantastic interview. Any last words, like any last strategies that we haven't talked about or any last words of advice? And I know also you do an AFib webinar, so we'll talk about that too right at the end. Well, I think that, you know, you know it's just, you know, we live in this uh, culture of fear. Uh, and I think it's important to get out of that culture of fear. You know, we talked about all the other strategies, but again, are any of that more so important than positive mental health or wellness? Mm. Believing that you are truly bulletproof, your immune system is bulletproof, not being afraid of a virus, not being afraid of a bac you know, bacteria, again, keeping your house as strong as possible, but both mental and physical. And when all we are doing is sitting inside and watching television and watching the fear channels, uh, um, we're, we're just perpetuating uh, the sickness and the chances of us getting sick. So it's like, you know, find your happy place, uh, uh, get out of the, out of the fear channel. You know, it's like every time I log on to, you know, my email, you know, it's like another person died another, uh, another celebrity is sick. And it's just, again, it's just, the, the media is not there to mm. inform us. The media mm. is there to keep us addicted to their programming so they can sell us, you know, Tylenol uh, down the road or the new, uh, you know, injection that's coming towards us. That's, that's, that's what they're trying to sell is that culture of fear that leads to the culture of profit for, for them. But we're wise to the system and we'll unplug and we'll just keep uh, talking about the truth. That's right. When you know the truth, you can live without fear. And, uh, you know, that's, that's liberating. And so let's talk a, uh, quickly about AFib before we finish up. Uh, you know, this is, a, this is a really rapidly growing condition. It's scary. Um, and obviously, you know, the, the medical system really has very little to no answers for it. But now you're providing this great webinar and uh, this program that you have to, to help people with that. So can you talk more about that? Yeah, millions and millions of Americans, obviously, and tens of millions worldwide are affected by atrial fibrillation, and where the top part of the heart just kind of, you know, quivers or shakes or fibrillates in this case. And what it is, it can lead to a lot of symptoms, heart racing, heart palpitations, skips, flip-flops. It can lead to some more severe symptoms, shortness of breath and chest pain or lightheadedness or even passing out. Uh, it can eventually lead to congestive heart failure. It can increase your chances of dying. But then also, uh, it's a risk factor for stroke. And whenever you talk about mm. stroke, that gets everybody's attention very quickly. So the purpose of my webinar on atrial fibrillation, again, is to be able to get people to understand, hey, you may have it, or even if you know you have it, come up with some strategies that are to I went to the prescription drug or they signed me up for an ablation and they said it was no problem whatsoever and they do it all the time and yeah, the risks are very minimal. Again, what I like to be able to tell people, as do you, what are the problems? And by, by going after causation, that's how we're going to have the true healing of the body to prevent, treat, reverse atrial fibrillation. That's what, uh, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, really good stuff. And uh, so glad you're putting together this webinar and program. And so if you're out there, if, if you are a family member, uh, maybe you have a family history of heart disease, uh, AFib, really common, obviously, you know, with heart disease, it's a, it's a heart related issue. So you or a family member is dealing with this, or you have a family history of heart disease, I'd highly recommend getting on the webinar. So we'll have a link in the show notes. So check that out. Dr. Jack, thanks so much for all your knowledge, your expertise. I think you've provided incredible value for our audience. So thanks again. And for those of you guys that are listening, remember you're more valuable than you think you are. So go out and start taking action to improve your health today. Be blessed, everybody.
Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.